telling you a story, in fact, about a soldier um, in the uh, just before the Second World War, and his wife um, gave birth to a son. And not long after the birth of the child, uh, the father went off to fight in the war, and he was away for about five years. During the time, of course, the little boy grew up uh, not knowing his father. His mum, trying to keep dad's memory alive, would tell stories about his father, and every night they would have a little ritual. They would go up to his room and kneel down by the bed, and they would say prayers together. And then after the prayers, she'd say, now you can go and kiss your dad goodnight. And up on the mantelpiece in the little boy's room was a picture of his father. So he'd go across the room, climb up on a chair, and kiss the picture of his father, put it back on the mantelpiece, and then get back into bed. After the war finished, Dad eventually came home. The boy was now nearly six. And after the first evening meal, which you can imagine was a little bit awkward and strange, Mum said, come on, Jimmy, we're off to bed now. So Jimmy and Mum and Dad, they went upstairs to Jimmy's little room. They knelt down by Jimmy's bed, and Mum and Jimmy said prayers. And then she said, now you can go and kiss your dad goodnight. So he walked past them both, got up on the chair, picked up the picture, and kissed the picture of his father goodnight. Now that story illustrates the difference between knowledge about someone and personal knowledge of someone. As we heard in the reading today, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father, that is all we need. Now we're on our third leg, if you like, of this journey of encountering the Trinity. We've been talking about the Trinity. The God we worship is not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's one God who manifests himself in distinct, different ways. It's like water, ice, and steam, which are the same basic substance, but they exist in three modes. Somebody um, texted me during the week and told me a little bit about what's called the triple point of water. I'd never heard about this before. And the triple point of water is the point at which a substance is, in its temperature and pressure applied to that substance can exist in three different modes at the same time. The triple point of water. It's called, to, it's all to do with third thermodynamic equilibrium. Now, as I've said to you before, if you try too hard to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you reject the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. You know, the Trinity is an essential doctrine in the Christian faith. So two weeks ago, we looked at understanding Jesus as God and encountering him personally. 
Because Jesus is alive today. He's risen from the dead. He died on a cross for our sins. And he's the one we come to when we know that we are separated from God. And we encounter Jesus as he forgives us and sets us free. And then last week we looked at encountering the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is our promised facilitator and empowerer and enabler to live this Christian life. And we noted last week that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit himself. And if Jesus was, how much more do we need to be? And today we're looking at having a personal relationship with God as our Father. What does that mean? What's it like? You know, we are children of God, so therefore we have our Father as a parent. We are sons and daughters of the living God. So what I'd like us to do, and you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but if you'd like to do it, I'd love you just to turn to someone next to you um, and answer this question. When you hear the name Father God, what feelings or thoughts or experience do you have in your mind and your heart when you hear the phrase Father God? Would you like to turn to someone and just talk about that for a couple of minutes. What experiences, um, when you hear the name Father God, what does that mean for you? Just share. Okay. Thank you, folks. Um, I recognize sometimes that sharing with people in the church, particularly if you don't know anyone, is a little bit uncomfortable and not easy, and so um, that's all right. But hopefully today, as we unpack this a little bit more, um, you'll begin to see uh, how essential it is to have a relationship with God the Father. And I wonder what you shared. You know, I've heard over many, many years in pastoral ministry 
People say that they know Jesus and they know the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to the Father, the Father seems so distant, so mysterious and almost unknowing. And it wasn't until 2007, um, some 28 years into my own Christian journey, I have to say that I began to connect with God the Father as my Abba Father. In the reading that we heard from Romans, Paul says this, By the Spirit's power we cry out, Father, my Father. The word used here is the word Abba, and it's the term for a father in an Aramaic language that Jesus would have used, and it's a fairly intimate word. It kind of means, like in our culture, Daddy, Dad. But it's not cheeky, it's intimate. One of the most read passages from the Bible at funerals, particularly of Christians, that, that, that is often heard, is the reading we heard from John 14 today, where Jesus is talking about, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And then he goes to, on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father or goes to the Father except through me. Now, many of us have apprehended the first part of that verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I wonder how many people have apprehended the second part of that verse. You see, Jesus is the way to the Father. A way only has meaning if it has a destination. And the destination here is our Father. Now, although the context of this particular passage is about heaven and going to heaven, if we just read it that way, we actually miss the point. You see, this is what Jesus said. He said in his high priestly prayer, he prayed this, Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. It's knowing the Father and the Son. And John writes in 1 John 3, 1, 3, And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, most of us would say that we probably know Jesus. Um, we have fellowship with Jesus. But can we say we know the Father. We have fellowship with the Father. Andrew Murray, a great 19th century preacher in his book called Humility, said this, one of the greatest downfalls of the Christian life is that when we trust Christ, we leave the Father out. Christ came to bring us to the Father. His life of dependency on the Father was a life in the Father's love. Our lives, too, must have their breath and their being in that heavenly love just as much as he did. What the Father's love was to Jesus is to be the Father's love for us. Now, I'm going to say a few things here um, about dads and fathers. Um, I'm a father. I'm a dad. And, and I recognize I'm not a perfect father. There's only one perfect father. 
But one of the great blockages that is obvious about the human condition, about knowing the Father intimately, the way Jesus portrayed him, is the image that we form in our minds and hearts and souls of a Father. And that, because of the way God's created the earth and the heavens, is through our own fathers. When a child grows up, the father image is the image that the person knowingly or unknowingly has in their mind about a father. Now there are essentially four types of negative father images that I want to refer to. Um, and it may well be that one of these or part of this might just resonate with you, I don't know. The first type is what we call an absent father. Those who have in many ways been so busy with their own lives and their work and other things that they failed to invest into their children's growing up. For them, a child who grows up like this, Father God, can be rather distant, absent, and even uncaring. I think one of the questions that comes to my mind is that often when we see such misery in the world, you know, people say, well, where's God in all that? Is he absent? No, he isn't. Secondly, there's the achievement-orientated fathers. Those who only really commend their children when they do good things, so that their children grow up only ever wanting to please their fathers to gain the love and affection that is due to them because the father is a father. I heard of a guy called Jack Frost who's written a book. In fact, I've left some books in the foyer, a whole lot of books about the father heart of God. And if any of you want to borrow any of those um, at the end of the service and take them home and read them, I've left them in the foyer. They belong to me. You're very welcome to if you could just sign them out. But Jack Frost has written a couple of books out there. He was a fisherman and uh, he eventually became a pastor. And he lived in a home of a very, very successful parents. Yet he endured a lot of verbal and emotional and some physical abuse uh, according to his failures as a son. And this is what he said. I felt nothing I ever did was ever good enough for my dad. All I ever did was disappoint my parents. And by the age of 12, I'd closed my heart to my parents. God the Father to him was someone who could only love him if he performed and did the right thing. Another image, um, a negative image, is what we call accommodating fathers. Fathers who will allow their children to do anything they want without drawing any boundaries for them. I know of a nine-year-old boy who came home from school one day and his father was ticking him off and he said, Dad, you can't tell me to do that. I've got rights, you know. To which the father said, where did you learn that from, my son? The son said, our teacher told us at school that we all have rights. 
To which the father replied, did your teacher ever tell you that you also have responsibilities? What's that word mean, Dad? Responsibilities. When you go to school tomorrow, please will you ask your teacher whether children have responsibilities? You know, the writer of Hebrews says this, Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does his own children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. The final type of father is what we call the abusive father. And I've read The um, Advocate the last two days, and there have been three articles on absent and abusive fathers and the impact that's had on their children. There's a very big article on the front page of Yesterday Advocate about um, uh, trying to help kids grasp what it means to have um, a father figure. And absent fathers can take abuse. Can, uh, sorry, abusive fathers can take many forms. They all have their own ways of warping a child's view of the world. Whether it's emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, a father's abuse can be ultimately ultimately violates a child's sense of purpose and value in the world. A child knows that their father is meant to be there to love them. Yet they grow up learning that love is painful and filled with shame. When confronted with the God of the Bible, they only think of God as being a wrathful God, a God full of judgment, a God who will only be pleased with them if they do something good, but a God who will attack them for his own selfish pleasure. Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 16th century, said this, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I pray our Father, I think of my own Father who is hard, unyielding and relentless. I cannot but think of God that way. I cannot but think of God that way as a loving Father. All he could think of was God was unyielding, hard, now, maybe me mentioning some of these images of fathers which are negative, and there are lots of positive images of fathers. There are affectionate fathers. Notice they all begin with A. I have to think of one with beginning with B or C or D. There's comforting fathers, you know, there's um, fathers who um, just love us so much, and th there are positive images too. But sometimes I've found that people who've had a, a rather negative experience of fatherhood can put onto God that image of Father when they hear that word. And I found um, it very, very helpful in my own journey, actually, in my relationship with my own father, to think about these images. And what I found most helpful of all is to realize that my father did the very best with what he had, with what he knew. And actually, his fathering was often a result of the way he was fathered. It passes down from generation to generation. And I found deciding to forgive anything my father did to me, deciding to, to forgive him and to bless him, was a great breakthrough. And it actually gave me a great compassion for my father, more of a compassion for him. 
And I hope that one day my son will be able to forgive me <laughs> for things that I haven't modelled very well to him. But now I want to look at the good news, because it's always good to look at the good news, isn't it? In our passage today from John, uh, we heard that Jesus replied to Philip, and he said this, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Now this is pretty mind-blowing. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because I can hear some of you thinking, but Jesus is separate from the Father. Jesus is Jesus and the Father is the Father. Don't think about it too much, all right? So what is Jesus really saying here? What he's saying is this. If you want to know what God the Father is like, look at me. I am the one who reveals the Father to you. I am the exact representation of the Father. Look, you guys, you've been with me for three years, he's saying to his disciples. Kind of, this is my interpretation of it. And you've seen some pretty amazing things, which only God the Father could do. I mean, look at it. You've seen water changing into wine. You've seen the dead coming back to life. Remember that guy who we saw a few days ago? He'd been in the tomb for four days. And you see him come back to life. You've seen thousands of people being fed with two loaves and five fishes. Now, only God can do that. You've also seen some pretty extraordinary human behaviours, behaviours that a lot of human beings struggle with. For example, you've seen me forgiving murderers and adulterers. You've seen me touching the untouchable lepers that no one will touch. You've seen me welcoming hated tax collectors and having a meal with them and Roman centurions. That's what you've seen me doing. You saw me ride into the city on a donkey, not a stallion, when the crowds were welcoming into the city. You've also been in daily fellowship with me for the past three years. We've journeyed together, we've eaten together. We've laughed together, we've cried together, we've camped under the stars together, and also you let me wash your feet. So as the disciples had watched Jesus living out his life before them, he'd seen God's Son manifesting the Father's love to them. You see, God is love. And that love is a warm, welcoming, intimate relationship. Mark Stibbe, who wrote a book, uh, which is also out there, says, Jesus Christ was born to tell us that God is the perfect Father, and we can have an eternal fellowship with him. He was born to restore intimacy between us and God the Father. That's why Jesus came to tell people that they have a loving Heavenly Father. 
Not an angry father. Not a father who will beat people up. A loving father who forgives. You know, it's most interesting that one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was called the prodigal son, which is actually more about the father than it is the son. I call that parable the prodigal father because the word prodigal means recklessly, wastefully extravagant. In it, Jesus paints a picture of a father who is loving to two sons, two very different sons. One son goes away and wastes everything, and then he comes home repentantly. And this is what the, this is what the, the Bible says. While the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his son, and he kissed him. Quick, he said, bring the best road, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and let's have a party because my son has come home. That's how thrilled I am about my son. That's how much I love him. And to the other son, who had always been a good boy and been at home and done what his father said, this is what he said, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. These pictures of God as a father don't portray a picture of God, the father, as being distant, uncaring, stern, mean, or insensitive. They paint a picture, don't they, of a recklessly extravagant father who's given us this world to live in, who's put us in families. And even though our families might not work very well, he still put us in there. But he's also given us his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, for our sins. He gave us his son. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us with his love. Amen. That is the type of father that we all want to know, right? Amen. The type of father who's going to guide us when we go off the rails, gently. The type of father who's interested in everything that we do. He really is. And I want to suggest to you three things that you could do if you want to unpack this revelation of God the Father. The first thing is to accept that God is the perfect father. Just to accept it. I accept that God is the perfect father. The scripture says this in the book of Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, where there's lots of blood and guts and people dying, this is what he says to Israel. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's who God is like. That's who God is like. The second thing that I encourage you to do is if you have a distorted picture of what a father is, Maybe because of your own experience of fatherhood, your own experience of fatherhood, if you have, I'm not saying you do, but if you have, I encourage you just to forgive your father and to bless him. Just to forgive him and bless him. He was the one responsible for bringing you into the world. Bless him for that. Thank God for him and forgive him. So important. 
And I think if you do that, you'll find a great compassion will grow in your heart for your father. Even though your father may be dead long time ago, you can still in your heart, because it's what remains in our hearts that counts. And the third thing is this. I would encourage you to ask your heavenly father to reassure you in some very practical, down-to-earth way that he loves you. Ask him. Say, Father, can you show your personal love to me? Um, when I started to learn about this revelation, I was um, reading this book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henri Nouan. And in this book, he writes this. He talks about the baptisms of Jesus, and he said, Home is the center of my being when I can hear the voice that says, You are my beloved son, on you my favor rests. And that same voice, Henri Nuance said, that was proclaimed upon Jesus, God makes it clear that we can hear that same voice if we'll open our hearts to the Father. We can hear that voice. So one day I said to the Lord, I said, oh, Lord, okay. Can you tell me, Lorne Campbell, that you love me? Can you? Would you do that for me? About four days later, I was getting on a bus. It was by the Niagara Falls. Sewer and I were in Canada at the time. And as I got onto the bus, onto the step, the voice, it was almost audible, said, Lorne, your name means best Beloved. That peace came over me. And when I got back to New Zealand about three months later, I was sitting in a church in Palmerston North, and I was still wrestling with this whole Father image and getting to know the Father. And at the end of the service, I came up for prayer, and the organ was praying very, playing very loudly. So the two people praying for me couldn't hear each other. And one of them put a hand on my shoulder and said, You are God's beloved son. On you, God's favor rests. And the other person, completely independently, see, said, You are God's beloved son. On you, my favor rests. And I witnessed over the years God the Father showing me little things, little whispers, little things in my life which have helped me to grasp this amazing love of the Father. And I want to pray that you too would experience the Father's love in a fresh new way this year and in these days ahead. Can I pray for you? And then I'm going to put a song up for us to just sit under and to listen to. Um, and then at the end of the service, if anybody would like to come up for prayer, there will be people here to pray with you. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you that I can call you my Father, my Heavenly Father. I thank you for my own dad, for Ian for all that he gave us as a family. And Lord, he had his struggles, you know, but I bless him in your name. I thank you for Ian. Thank you that I was with him just before he passed. And he held my hand, Lord, and said, keep doing what you're doing. What a blessing from a father. And Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you intimately, 
as their Heavenly Father. I pray that you'd pour your spirit upon them today so that they might cry out, Father, my Father, Abba, my Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to know the Father. And Lord, we bring ourselves before you now as we just rest, we listen to this song and we pray quietly. In Jesus' name, amen.